And it's so easy to discern when we're hungry because, hey, I feel that that urge to splurge, you know, I feel that urge to, to go after. Man, I, and I can see that, you know, a burger and fries and milkshake, you know, and we get a picture of that. And the more we see it, the more we think about it, the more we want it. How many just grabbed a hold of that right when I said that? In the same way, y'all don't leave early because I just shared that now. In the same way, we can develop a hunger and thirst for the Spirit of God. Because our inward part of our man that we feed probably the least of all things, that we can feed one another by relationships, our marriage relationships, our friendships, and all those kind of soul mates and soul ties, we we can feed that. But our spirit man is probably the least that we never think about. And yet when you consider that a lot of us are sick and weakly among us because said you don't rightly discern the Lord's body. He's talking about receiving the Lord's table. So he wasn't just talking about you don't rightly know the, the bread and the wine, what all it means, but it, we don't rightly discern the Lord's body, which is very spiritual. It's not, not this building, but rightly discerning or understanding how God wants us to view his body. Many of us are sickly and weak among us because we don't rightly divide the body. We don't rightly discern the body. So if God, we could find, all of us could come up with excuses, problems with churches. I hear them all the time. I get calls. People have had a bad experience in church, and and it's given me an excuse for 20 years to back out of that. They're all the same. But really, how many of you ever had some bad food, but you quit eating? I don't see any show of hands that. Or that you got offended when you're in the grocery store. Somebody bumped your buggy a little hard and you got offended. That's it. I'm never going back to a grocery store again. That lasts till about, you know, on Wednesday till you're ready to go get some more food. But when it comes to spiritual things, I don't understand why that one thing so knocks us out of the very thing that's more eternal and lasting than a burger and fries. It's because we have to train ourselves to hunger and thirst him. He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be filled, burger, fries, and shake. No. Will be filled with righteousness or in relationship with God that divinely connects us with that. So what I want to share today is that we have to train our spiritual man to hunger after God. Here's the issue. The longer you've been saved, the longer you're in church, the easier it is to check out. I've heard it and been there, done that, and they can't tell me anything different. Then if that's the case, then that could be a pride issue. I'm always learning every time I open this word, even something I've preached on before, I'm just reading it for myself. All of a sudden he unfolds it, unveils it in a way that I've never thought possible. I didn't know that you could say holy so many different ways, but evidently you can because in eternity they're going holy, 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 holy. Holy, 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 holy. But every time, evidently, that they say holy, that the presence of God so unveils himself in a way that we've never known before. So his, his presence and who he is is infinite, past finding out, though he tells us to go after and seek after him. So if you're checking out today and you're home watching somewhere, you might be in a bar or prison, you've just checked out and said, you know, got upset with somebody that didn't say hi or greet you in a certain way, then you've not checked out on God, you've checked out on yourself. 
because your spiritual most being is the one that's not nourished and it affects every part of our being. (laughs) For instance, when our spirit is right with God, then our mind, will, and intellect is fed. One spills over into the next. And when our soul, sukikos is the word, mind, will, and intellect is fed, filled, I'm not upset, not offended, then what happens is my body is the recipient of what's going on. I wrote a book uh, a few years ago called The Power of Imagination. And in the research through John Hopkins University, they said 95% of all illnesses start in the mind. They didn't say it was psychosomatic, but it begins there. And fear is the biggest one there. Fear is just the absence of God in the situation. That's why Jesus continually said, don't fear, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Even when an angel shows up, fear not. Is because anything we don't understand, are we, attend, we tend to lean to the fear. I've not seen this before. I don't understand this before. So this must be the worst. So when we understand how that God thinks and he lives and operates inside of us, then we start discerning the Lord's spirit differently instead of saying, well, here we go again. This is a bad thing. Or we can discern the Lord's spirit in such a way. This is a great opportunity for God to show himself out. You be, think about the three little young men, Hebrew children, we called them, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You can imagine how they felt on the way to the furnace. Wow, I wasn't seeing this coming. And this is what we get for hanging in there. This is what we get for standing at what we believe and worship and honoring the Lord, not giving ourselves to the pop culture and the trend of the day. And this is what we get. Or otherwise, you could be like them and saying, it doesn't matter. If you put us in there, we're not going to bow down. The outcome does not determine what I'm doing right now. I'm not going to respond right now because an unfavorable outcome may be on the way. I'm going to stand right now and whatsoever you believe. Faith is what we do, not just what we think. And so when they put him in the furnace and the king got feeling guilty, comes back and he said, we threw three in there. There's a fourth one in there. He discerned something. And it looks like the son of God, the son of man. So when we see things and discern rightly by the spirit of God, then we release the spirit of God to come and minister in behalf of you and I, the heirs of salvation, and he dispatches his angels. So I want to look at today in a very practical way how we do that on the job and whatever you're doing. First rule is don't panic, don't fear, don't get mad, don't give up, don't throw up, don't throw in. Hang in. Saying, I may have not seen the end result yet, but I'm trusting God no matter what the results are. I am not going to give in to how I, what I feel, taste, see, and touch. So if we understand 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the discerning of spirits. It must be important, and it simply means to distinguish one from the other. I'm not going to blame God for something the devil did. I'm not going to blame God for something that I did. I'm not going to blame the devil for something I did. I just need to make the distinction for what that looks like and is. Because anger is a sense that I I have no relationship with God. And so anger is an emotion that spills out. The Bible says you can be angry and not sin. And the original word there sin means don't boil over. In other words, you can have water in the pot boiling and it's fine. It's, in, it's contained. But when the water boils over, that is the type of anger that is with sin. 
So you can be passionate inside, but when it starts spewing over and anger at other people, then, then that's the anger that has moved into sin. So turn with me to James, the third chapter, and we'll just kind of kick it off and see how far we get this morning. But I do want to make this very practical, so I'm, I'm not going to run through it as if I was on a seminar and flying out the next day. I'm here, <laughs> here all week, for you that understand what that statement means. He, James, the third chapter, and let's pick it up in verse 17. But the wisdom, or the mindset, thoughts of God, that is from above is first pure. Give you four things right here, I think it's four, or five maybe, that is how God thinks and to discern the Spirit of God. First of all, the wisdom that comes from God above is pure. It is not mixed with other agendas and other reasonings, motivations. How many has ever seen that? Well, I, let me tell you what's good for you because I'm going to get a sale out of this. Let me tell you what you should have because I'm going to benefit out of that. That's not pure. That's a reasoning that's mixture. Then peaceable it brings a, a, a synchronization between this, our spirit and the spirit of God. There means a congruent relationship connection there. Just doesn't mean an emotional okay. It means our deep spiritual. It's gentle, which means it's not harsh. Anytime that someone says they're does something harsh to you or at you or says about you, you realize that it may be coming for a self-motivating reasoning and spirit behind it. Gentle, which means I can receive it. Willing to yield, in other words, if it's God's, I'm willing to yield, full of mercy, that's God's nature, and good fruits. You go back in John 15, he says, you know the tree by its fruit. We know good fruit because it's what it looks like and what it produces. Bitter fruit comes from a bitter root, according to Hebrews 12, and it springs up and then defiles everybody else around them. So if our being offended bitter about something starts affecting everybody else around, know that it did not come from the Spirit of God. Then he goes on to say, without partiality, discrimination, and without hypocrisy, meaning two-faced, having more than one, one person having more than one mask. Now the fruit of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. So we already have a sense when we discern the Spirit of God. So when we are attentive and we pick up or discern that God is at work here, understanding those things. You can be in Walmart, you can be in the supermarket, and there's something that comes on you, maybe a gentleness, a sense of mercy, a sense of peace comes on you, and it's a, hey, I need to pay attention because this is the Spirit of God. And if this is the Spirit of God moving on me, then I need to find out, God, why is it you want to move upon me? Not just so I can feel good. Hebrews, the fifth chapter... And he says, talking about the, our gifts of the Spirit, that they're made skillful, the gifts of the Spirit, those are my words adding, but he's talking about the things of God, the senses of God actually saying, the senses are made skillful by reason of use. The more we tend to it and yield to this prompting of the Holy Spirit, the more skillful we become at it. So it's not a strange thing. It becomes more of a normal lifestyle than, wow, guess what happened today? I think I heard the voice of God. That should be a regular day. I need to hear him every day. This is, give me my bread today. And he wasn't talking about the carbs you're going to put in your mouth. That's going to be forever on you. This is, I need to hear God because that causes what I'm created to be and do to synchronize and live. 
It's like charging my battery at that point. Let me just give you some background with this. The main reason we need to be attentive to the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit is so that we can partner with Him in what He wants to do in creation. Not only talking about recreating trees and that kind of thing, but creation in the lives of people because that's more eternal. There's a verse of scripture in Romans 5 where it says, when he's talking to Abraham, he said, count those things or not because Abraham said, I'm too old to have a son. Count those things or not as though they are. This is being able to partner with the Holy Spirit, discerning the Lord's Spirit saying, though I don't see it in the natural by my five senses, I do want to discern the Spirit of God in this connection, this situation, so that I can see what you really want to have happen, not for me just to confirm how bad it is. The natural senses can confirm how bad things are, and we get what we confirm, or we get what we believe shall be. That's why that God's prophetic. Spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Jesus. So when you're looking at a difficult situation in your family or home, You can go around and tell everybody how bad it is, how nasty it is, and you just simply agree with the now, or you can begin to recognize that this is an opportunity for me to partnership with the Spirit of God and discern what the Lord wants to do here. I talk about my mother a lot because it's probably the most, it's an example that I lived with. So if you're tired of those examples, then um, you can just tune me out for a second. My dad was not uh, a believer at all when I was growing up. He wasn't a disbeliever. He just wasn't a believer. He was just kind of neutral. In other words, he didn't want to get involved. And he would act out at times and just be angry and upset and bothered. And my mother would come in the opposite spirit of that and would declare over him what he was going to be. This is long before power of blessing ever thought about being. Nobody ever taught about it. It's way beyond that, that scope. No one ever shared those kind of things. And I thought to her, I said, you're totally in denial. You're in denial of the, of the facts. And she said, I am in denial of the devil telling me what it is. I didn't have a comeback for that. I, I was trying to be logical and practical, and she was trying to be spiritual. And I would tell her things, you are so spiritual, you know, they all, you're so spiritual and you're no, you're no earthly understanding. And she said, good, that's exactly the way I want it. I don't want to yield myself to this, this world's standard of thinking. She continually declared that and believed that counting those things are not as though they are, though while the R was seemed like was so far out and sticking in her face, she continually hung to what she knew was the spirit of God. And she would not magnify or give the spirit of this world or the devil in that case any ground at all to stand on. And because of that continually saw a breakthrough and my dad ended up, I was already down here pastoring a church before he ever, before he ever uh, went to church. He came and heard me preach one time, sit right over there. And I guess we went a little, a little longer than what he was suspecting. He turned around and told somebody, he said, if I knew it'd be this long, I'd, I'd have brought a sandwich. <laughs> Bless their heart, they ran to the kitchen to see if they could make him a sandwich. <laughs> That's him. He does not, he's not hungry. He just had to make comment. He said, I enjoyed your talk. I said, thank you. Here's a sandwich. But when we discern the Lord's spirit, there is a partnering that happens with us. When God created man in the very beginning and he breathed into man's 
body and was created out of the dust, and man became a living being. The original, you heard me say this many times, became a speaking spirit. The reason he wanted us to be a spirit that had a voice to it is so that we could partner with him in creation in whatever that is and whatever that looks around like us. I'm not talking about he's telling us to go out and you know speak to the dirt and, and cause there to be a tree made. I'm not talking about that creation because we can only procreate what he's already created. That makes sense? So I, I could use a title today about how to procreate, but I knew some of your mind wouldn't get past what I, I just said, so I didn't say that. So I'm not asking you to go procreate. Pro means to advance, and the idea is create, to advance what's already been created. So everything that's already been created, God spoke in the very beginning, now we can partner with him in such a way. That's why we can pray and believe God for healing and deliverance because we're in partnership with the power and authority of his word. So if you went back into Genesis, the second chapter, and you could see, you could actually see what I'm talking about, how we partner with him. Because in the very beginning, Genesis 2, verse 5, before the garden was created, follow the chronology, if you will. This is the history of the heavens and the earth, and they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb on the, the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. Get that? There was no rain on the earth. There was no man to till the ground, meaning the fact is, I will not release potential or growth until there's someone in the place to cultivate it. Did you get that? He's looking for man to be in partnership with him to till the land, and that word till there is not a good English word for our context, because that means that mean go out and break up the ground, but it literally means to bring it to its full potential, to cultivate so God had in his mind a potential for it to be, and he says, I want to place man there, made lower than the angels, the Bible says, to partner with God, not to create from nothing, but to procreate with what he's already created, to see it multiply, see it come to its fullness and its, and its full potential with that. So next, next verse of that, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils, breath of life, man became a living being or speaking spirit. Look at verse 9. Verse 8 tells us God planted a garden. So before the garden was there, he created man. He didn't create man for the garden, he created the garden for the man. Recognize that. God loves us so much, he made us different than everything else. He made us different than a than a, a dried up twig or a tree. Sometimes you go out and talk to a tree, but you don't get an answer back because we're not made like that. We're not made like idols. Look at verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow what is pleasant to the sight and good for food because man's there, he's going to need to eat. He made us to need to eat. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, which means that you need to eat from the tree of life because you're a spiritual being and you need to be nourished from this tree. I've got these other trees over there that you eat from so you can be healthy physically, but this one tree is there to feed you spiritually. God intended originally for man to eat of the tree of life, which was immortality. Only after the fall, had he eaten of the tree of life, then sin would have entered into mankind forever and ever and ever. 
So God drove them out of the garden because he didn't want them to eat the tree of life after they had already eaten the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the choice they made. There's some choices we made keeps us from what God said, this is my intention for you. But then Jesus comes, the second Adam, and he becomes the healer and the bridge the gap. So he wants to restore us back to what God originally intended so we can have life everlasting. And we do it through Jesus Christ, his blood purchased and bought us. And so we do have a heavenly place with him and the tree of life is there. Yeah. Notice that he intended that nothing would grow and multiply until man was in his place. There is a partnership of the Holy Spirit, and we need to be able to discern the Lord's Spirit to be able to partner with him. The natural part of us, first of all, reacts and responds to what something's negative and bad, and we miss discerning the Lord's Spirit because all we can discern is the problem. Hear me. The reason we don't see more breakthrough is because we discern more of the devil, more discern more of other people's human nature than we discern the Lord in the middle of the issue. God, what is it you want to say here? God, what do you want to do here? Well, I can't get past what they did. I can't get past situations and conditions that didn't work out for me, so therefore I'm upset with God. That is an opportunity for God to unveil and reveal himself, but I couldn't discern the Lord's spirit. I had my own spirit involved with this, how I wanted to turn out. It didn't turn out like I wanted it to be, so therefore I'm upset with it. And we cancel out or su suppress the Spirit of God. I've seen it over and over and over again. For 40 years I've done counseling, well, 38 actually. Counseling, I can tell you, when I can't get people past the point of the human will and the human spirit and the demonic spirit to see God in the middle of something, then I, we can't move forward with it. Next part of this, Romans 8, chapter, verse 14. Could it very well be that God has a plan in the midst of your problem and we can't get past what we magnify and that's why we don't discern the Lord's middle of this? Sometimes it's very difficult to say, God, I don't see how you can be glorified out of this. Well, he, he's glorified out of this by those who are in partnership with him that give him glory in all things do what? Complain and see if he, he responds to you. In all things give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I don't have to give thanks for the problem, but in the middle of it, I can still be thankful. I'm not thankful for the conditions and situations I'm in. I'm still thankful for God. Not thankful that in the fiery furnace or, you know, Paul and Silas locked up in prison, but with that heart of thanksgiving and gratitude, it moves the heart and hand of God because we're in partnership with him when we discern the Lord's spirit in the middle of it. Still with me? All right, Romans 8, chapter, pick it up in verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, the discerning of the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. When he uses the word sons of God, in some contexts, it talks about the angels in creation that had, and of course, some of them fell. But he's also talking about those who have his own nature, his own DNA, and who he is. So in this account, he's talking about those who are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. The word weos there means those who are, are of a more mature age. You have technon, weos, and pateros. This weos, when you're mature enough to do the family business, 
if you're led by the Spirit, you're the sons of God. Well, the Bible talks about though Jesus was in Galatians, he was, though he was heir of all things, he was born a baby and he was heir of all things the day he was born into this world. But the Bible says there in Galatians 3, he was under tutors and governors, though he's the son of God. He was under tutors and governors, authority, until the set time of the father. In other words, God was raising him up because the potential was to be the son of God, to give his life for the world and ransom, and to be the savior of the world. But when he was a baby, and nobody knows at what period in time that he became aware of that, but he was a son of God. So there's a lot of things that have been promised to us because we are born again, but we have not matured enough to be able to walk in them. And so we don't see them happening. We just assume God's not going to do it. I don't trust him. When God says something to us, there is a catalyst that begins to happen. He starts working on us to prepare us to handle that. You see in Luke, the fifth chapter, the parable of the wineskin that he, he prepares the wineskin, turns it wrong side out because it's been used before, scrubs it, right, you know, rubs it kind of like a lye soap, scrapes it all out from the last year's vintage, pulls it back out, puts olive oil on this old badger skin and makes it pliable so that when the new wine comes in and it starts fermenting and expanding, it can handle the newness of God. So when the Holy Spirit's promised us stuff, it's, well, I haven't seen it happening. Oh, but you do. It is working inside of you to will and to do of his good pleasure to fulfill his promises. You've heard me say before, when I, when I was prophesied over when I was 19 years old, that I would go to the nations and I would travel and I would oversee churches and be a troubleshooter in the body of Christ. I didn't even know what that meant. And it didn't matter that I didn't know what it meant as long as God knew what it meant. I was just a recipient stuck in the middle between God said and the work of the Holy Spirit. I was pulled, I was pressed, I was shoved, I was, and I thought, this isn't fair. I had, when he gave me that word, I had never been out of the county. I didn't, know north, I didn't know north from south. I had to ask my dad, I was going to Colorado Springs, I said, which way is Colorado Springs? He said, you don't know, and I said, no. And he, said, he said, it's north. I said, okay, which way is north? They didn't have GPS in those days. God will take us from somewhere we're not and say something over us that says it's not and there's nothing to confirm the natural and declare it to be so. And the Holy Spirit comes along with his word and starts moving, agitating, doing whatever's necessary to bring us to what God said. So, so those who are led by the Spirit, those are the sons of God. All right, let's read the rest of this. Um, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, being born again, by whom you cried, Abba, Father. I've got a different father now. I can't blame my natural father. I have a father in heaven, and he's perfect. He's pure. He's merciful, without partiality, without hypocrisy. So I have him. Whom we cried, Abba, Father, spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit, big S, Holy Spirit, our spirit, little s, that we are children of God. It is confirmed inside of us that we're not our own. We belong to him. In verse 17, and if we're children, catch this, then heirs, 
And if we're children and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we shall also reign together with him. There's a, there's a powerful verse of scripture in 2 Corinthians, the fifth, the fifth chapter. And he said, verses 8 through 20, he said, God was in Christ reconciling the world. Now Christ is in you with giving you the ministry of reconciliation. God is in Christ. Christ is in you. I mean, we're wrapped up with double indemnity. That's an insurance thing, I think. You're, we're wrapped up and covered. God was in his son. His son is in us. So we carry a partnership, joint heirship, though we haven't come to the fullness yet because we're still growing up into his likeness. Therefore, we still have struggle at times, but it doesn't change what he said. It just changes whether I'm doing it, I'm doing it willingly or I'm going to do it kicking and screaming, complaining all the way. Because God doesn't change his mind. It's our mind that has to be changed for it to happen easily. So if we're joint heirs with him and we're called to partnership with him, then that means Christ, the anointed one, is, is, is what his, his name is. The anointed one inside of us is in us, reconciling to the world, to himself. And then he goes on to say, and I have given you, you and I, the ministry of reconciliation. The original says, I give you the power to see things that are separated from God and to say, be reconciled to God. Demand it to be reconciled. The word demand there doesn't mean by our own natural authority, but by as a one speaking under the authority of the Spirit of God. Be reconciled to God. If you have family that are away from God, you can talk how bad they are and I can't believe what they're doing and they're just setting themselves up for failure and we just on and on and on and talk about them and we're all we're discerning after the natural spirit instead of discerning the spirit of God. It's not God's desire or intention that any man should perish but all shall come to the knowledge of the Son of God. So why not agree with God instead of agreeing with what's happening around God, it's not your will that they're living like that. So in the spirit, I pray it and declare it and say, be reconciled to God. Little Johnny, be reconciled to God. I don't care what the devil's doing or saying, it doesn't matter. Be reconciled to God because the spirit of God always triumphs over the spirit of this world. He just wants a partnership, someone to agree with him. It'd be terrible to be in business when someone is supposed to be equal partners with you and yet they were always dragging their feet and didn't carry out their side of the responsibility. Well, God's sovereign. You do whatever he wants to. Yeah, that's true. But somehow or another, he wanted to partnership with us, man on the earth, to show the principalities and powers in the heavenlies, to make a display of them openly embarrassing, saying this is what happens when a heart is willingly open to allow God to move through them that man can be filled with the Spirit of God and partnership with him on earth. When man was in the garden, God says, let it rain. When we're in our right place with God, he said, let it rain. Let it come. You're ready to receive whatever that potential is. But if that rain and that potential causes me to walk away from God, then he'll only trust me with a little bit of shower now and then. But if he can trust me with more, Sometimes people can't handle very much money because money goes to their head and then money takes them out and then money just, you know, it's the love of that. 
but really when he begins to can trust us knowing the fact that we use it for the influence of God, the influence of the kingdom of God, says, I will give you more. He that has a little when he's faithful, I'll be able to give more. Find all the way through scripture talks about few becomes more. They had started with few and they had more. Go borrow a few vessels and then it came more. All the way through scriptures, we start with few and more comes when we're faithful with the few. Here's what's interesting. That Genesis 1 says, in the beginning was God. The word beginning there means the head of something, meaning the beginning where it starts taking life. In the beginning. You go into John 1, verse 1, and the writer wants them to, us to see that there is a correlation between Genesis 1 and John 1. And John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. We know that in the beginning, the Word was there because God was there in the beginning. Now notice there's, that God is he's showing us how to partner with Him. He said, darkness was on the face of the deep. And notice that God never spoke to the darkness. He never spoke to the darkness. He just spoke to the light. He spoke to the very thing that was going to destroy the darkness and his focus and his attention was not on the darkness. And the word darkness there is actually translated skoza, which means so, so dark and that you can actually feel the weight of it. It's oppressive. Instead of saying, wow, this is pretty bad. Here's how dark it is and life's pretty bad and you know, I got a raw in the deal and the darkness starts getting more oppressive. But God said, let there be light. And he's speaking, it's like, let us make man, is plural, Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's speaking to the tri Trinity of God, I believe, the triune of God. And he said, let there be light. So they, and the sun, moon, and the stars wasn't created until chapter three. So what happened was he expressed himself unveiled who he was, you can call it radiation, the glory of God, the brightness of God, whatever that is, was, was out there in the darkness. Bible says could not comprehend. It means that it could not overcome. It had to go underneath. It cannot overcome. Darkness has to go down. Light always comes up. When we understand partnering with the Holy Spirit, we'll need to understand the principle of light. To partner with the Holy Spirit, he always wants us to operate in light, not in darkness. Darkness wants to express the problem, and there's nothing wrong to say, God, I need help, and can you pray to have prayer partners? Nothing wrong with that. But when the darkness becomes the predominant thing, and we're complainers, and there's some people who are so negative, he said, it's a good day, what's good about it? I mean, it's just their nature, who they are. They've never allowed the light of his glory to come and put down darkness and let God arise and what happens? And let his glory scatter the enemy. When God said, let there be light, the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit came and started brooding over. The word brooding there is the word rakaf, R-A-C-A-P-H. And it means to literally inseminate or vibrate. Two, two ways you translate that. One is vibration of voice or sound. The other is the idea like you would inseminate, you know, in, in, in breathing, you know, um, conceiving, conception, if you would. So he tells us that there's something about speaking 
what he is saying that is partnership with him so that what the enemy wanted to rise up and overcome, that God's speaking puts it down, pushes it down. Jesus said in John 6 and verse 63, the words I speak, I mean, hang on to this verse, the words I speak, they are spirit, capital S, and their life. The ability, spirit and life, which was in Genesis 1, also now moves over and connects into John 1. If we're partnering with him, we carry the same spirit of life and the spirit of light inside of us. So we realize that the Holy Spirit could not move until God said something. Hear me on this. James, the fourth chapter says, you have not because what? You don't ask, and when you ask, you ask amiss. We just read what in chapter 3 of James, before that, here's the, how God thinks this is the wisdom of God. So when he said, you have not because you ask not, well, I've been praying, I've been asking, I've been asking. But here's when he says asking, Jesus makes mention of this in John the 16th chapter, and he said, when he, the spirit of uh, truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, he will take of mine, mine what? Well, John 1 tells us what that is. Let's read it in John 1.1. 1, 1. We can get it down. In the beginning, vibration, something said, inseminating. In the beginning was the word, capital meaning, it was speaking of himself, the word, not a graphic word. And the word, Jesus, was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. Not Jesus the Son, but Jesus the Son of God in heaven, the triunity. He was in the beginning with God. So the Word was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, Word, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Without the Word there was nothing made that was made. Without Him, the Word, anything that was created was not created. I'm going to say it a couple of different ways. Without Him speaking the Word, there was nothing that could be created. Without the Word being present... There was nothing that could be changed or created. You have not because you ask not. Well, he's not talking about because, well, I'm talking. We have not because we've not released the Holy Spirit to come and move or intervene into the situation. Because Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth, aletheia, the manifested reality of how God sees and thinks, when he comes, he will take of mine, which is what's mine the word of God, and take of mine and give it to you. What? Now so you could partner with him, the word of God. So when we said, let there be, then the Holy Spirit immediately is released because the Holy Spirit will always follow the word of God, not my opinion. I think the Holy Spirit should do this. He just sits there. Some, re- some reasons why we may not be receiving something is because we're missing, asking amiss, I mean, we're asking the wrong things. No, we're asking using our own leverage or our own words, but he's given us his word himself, and the Holy Spirit is bound to his own, to his word. He is the word that was given to us so we could partnership to bring about a change or a creative miracle, whatever needs to happen. Look, rest of John 1. Verse 4, in him was life, And his life was the light. There again, shows up life and light together 
in the same context with the word. Life and light is connected to the word. The light shines in the darkness, Genesis 1, now in John 1. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or over, come over the top of it. Look at verse 12. As many as received him, the word, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, co-heirs, joint heirs with the word of God. Verse 14. And the word, capitalized, became flesh, unveiling the Father's glory, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When he talks about the word, we can't just think about something that's written in paper and bound in leather. The word was made flesh, dwelled among us. Colossians 1, 127 says, and now Christ in us. He moved from the outside to the inside. We're carriers of the word of God or joint heirs with the word. So if he said in the beginning where the head of something starts, and in John 1, in the beginning, the head of something starts, a new covenant, New Testament is happening, but the same thing has to happen. Genesis 1, God said, John 1, we get to say. We're not just saying whatever comes to our mind, whatever we want, you know, I want a new car, I want a new car, I want a new car. That's not bound, the spirit is not bound to that because it doesn't have word in it. When he, he spoke the word, he means that he was life, word zoe there, the ability to recreate himself in it. And light, which literally is the arena, which means to expose himself greater than the darkness. In him was life and light. Two things that are tied to the word. The words I speak, John 6, they are spirit and they're life. So it tells me if we're going to partnership and co-labor in procreation, advancing creation, and seeing transformations that happen in our own life and family, that I, I, I've got to get this word inside of me. Not just as a textbook, thy word have I hidden my heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. I am asking a miss, missing the mark of God if I'm just complaining and talking about, and I know nothing of what he said, I've given you this so that you may live. I've given you this, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Choose life. But he always gives us a choice. There's a choice in the garden, tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. You get to choose. And the reason God gives us a choice, he wants to see if we choose after his heart or choose after our own nature. Discern his spirit, discern our own nature. So when we have a discerning of the spirit of God, the whole, and we use the word of God, the Holy Spirit is released to come and brood over that situation and condition to see something change. For just a moment, just consider what, what an area that you would like to see change in. Number one, if, you, if you're blaming someone else for your problem, you'll never see change. You can't change what you don't own. You know, I misunderstood, I, mis I took it wrong, I, whatever. As long as we're blaming somebody else, I'll, we never grow outside of, of them. We tie that situation to our back and we lug it around all of our life, that dead corpse hanging around our neck. Or we can change things by having the word of God and speaking to the darkness 
Because darkness simply is suppressing or hiding the revelation of God. For instance, Jesus comes into Bethany. That word had already gone out that Lazarus, your friend whom you loved, is dead. Jesus said, I'm coming. He was so moved by faith, he waited four days to do it. He gets there, and they meet Jesus coming in the city. Oh, Lord, if you'd have been here earlier, I know things would have been different. Their perception was that we believe you're the healer, but we do not have revelation of you being the resurrection life. So their understanding of God was one-dimensional. Jesus died for my sins, I'm going to heaven, and the rest of the thing, I don't care what happens. But why not understand the lover of your soul and fully what he wants to partner and co-partner with us? Jesus says, where is he? Oh, he's over here, he's in the tomb. He said, move the stone. Uh, Lord, he's, he's dead. They went on to perceive, to explain to him the mortification process, what happens to a body when it's been dead that long. Jesus is not moved by them, even though that there was people weeping. Do not let the circumstances or give in to the circumstances cause you to miss out the discerning of the Spirit of God. Everybody's upset, okay? What's God saying? This is what leaders do. We hear God in the midst of problems, in the midst of chaos. That's why David was called such a great leader because in 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, when all of his family was taken by the, by the Arameans and everything was there and his friends are now saying, I want to kill, let's kill David. It's his fault. Let's, let's give it to him. And yet he was the one that took them on raids and won all these battles and they had all more spoiled and more stuff than they had had before. But now we want to kill him. It's because they did not discern the spirit of God in the midst of it. David, with one ear, is hearing people turning on him, and yet because he knows the heart of God and he's been in battles before and knew the power of God, he calls for the Abathar of the priest. He said, bring me the, the ephod, which only a priest would be put on, which prophetically is talking about David as a type of Christ, the king, priest, and prophet. David takes off all of his armor gear and everything that he's normally comfortable fighting with, you need to hear this. Some of us have one mode of fighting, and that is flesh against flesh. And we leave the battle gear on all the time to fight, 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 fight. When the whole time is, you need to take that off. I have a new strategy for you. Put on the ephod, which was the point of worship and turning your affection towards the Lord. How he could put a deaf ear to what they were saying, I'm going to kill him, and turn his affection towards the Lord it took an, a, a deep ins, inside of him of surrender to, the, to God. And when he said, inquire of the Lord, it, it's a word just didn't mean, I, I've got some questions here. How'd this happen? Inquire literally means that he inquired of the hill of the Lord. He went into the presence of God and was first worshiping. He understood the principle of the presence of God that he first enters in with worship knowing that all the chaos around him was ensuing. No wonder he could write Psalms 23, going through the valley of the shadow of death, going through all this stuff, but the ultimate is I prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. 
that I can show you how you can be in the presence of your enemies and still have the table of the Lord, which is communion fellowship. He hears God. You're going to pursue. You're going to overtake him. You recover. And it's exactly what happened. If David had not heard God and undiscerned the spirit of God in that matter, they would have lost everything, maybe losing his own life, losing all credibility with his own men, because all he had to do is say, we need to discern what God's doing here. Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's a discerning the Lord's spirit. You had another motivation in it. Your heart was to do me harm, but God knows a way to get the biggest bang for the buck. And so out of that, God brought something good out of it, and Joseph was set up to be the one who delivered the, his own people during the day of famine. God shakes things in order to shift them. You know what I'm saying? He will shake things to shift things. To shift them to point is and find out where do you really stand with God. When everything is hunky-dory, hallelujah, praise God, easy come, you know, everything just, oh, this must be God. The devil has a way of making us very comfortable. So it doesn't get us stirred up. It's as broad as the way that leads to destruction, narrow as the way that leads to the kingdom. So part of the partnership of the Holy Spirit is being able to discern what God's doing here and then responding in the right spirit so that the Holy Spirit can partner and take the word and move in behalf of that and stir over face of the deep, or stir over your bodies, or stir over your life, or stir over your family, whatever that is. But I can tell you, anger, bitterness, complaining never does move the Holy Spirit. He is silent. He is still. Because he's the spirit of truth, not the spirit of fact. Fact may be, but truth will win when you declare the word of God over the situation that moves the heart of God. So here's bottom line. Matthew, the fifth chapter, says to us, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Let men so see your good works that they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. So how do we release the light anyway? So if his word is represented as life and light, then he said, you are the light of the world. That's not just a metaphor, but he says, you are the carrier of the word of God and that when you speak the word, pray the word, declaring it so it's not just an internalized thing, then you've released the light of the world. And his life and his light now becomes the insemination of the situation and the Holy Spirit will be released, who's the spirit of truth, because we've co-labored with him on the earth. He wants, he doesn't have to, but he wants to. He's chosen to partnership with us. I don't know that it's a great partnership, but evidently he saw something that he wants to destroy the works of the devil by, by linking and joining hands with us. For 30 seconds, just think for a moment what it is that you need to see changed. And what has been your game plan up to now? Curse everybody with it. Nobody loves me, nobody cares, nobody does it right. How we, it's how we roll in the family. You need to change the environment of your family because it no longer works. Let it be on earth as it is in family. There's the family of God in heaven that doesn't understand that principle. 
What is it that you need to see God move in behalf, that you want to see change with it? If it's a financial condition, then complaining about what you don't have never releases you to have any more. Because we're just simply being a steward over complaining. But when you become a steward of what God says, I want to just test and see what you can do with what I give you, then you have a breakthrough and you, you're powered through it. And it always connects to his word was made flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us and then dwelt inside of us. And the Holy Spirit says, I recognize he, the word inside of you. And when you release the he that's inside of you, then the he that's in the world is destroyed. Greater is he, the word inside of you, than the he that's in the world. Stand with me, would please. <coughs> Father, we're so thankful that you've allowed us to join with you in a partnership. Psalms 107, you sent your word, and what happened? And healed them. When your word is sent, as the word apostolic, something happens, something changes. We repent today, Lord. We've sent other things besides your word. We've sent our opinions, our feelings, our thoughts. God knows that it changes from time to time. But the very, one, the very thing that you respond to at all times and all seasons is your word. And the Holy Spirit comes and takes what you gave us as the armament. You even told us by the words that have gone on over us prophetically that with those words that we can do warfare by it. So we can stand and say, God, you said I'll be able to do these exploits and put the enemy to flight. And then I join with you to be able to do that. So I, I declare your word that the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of light is the kingdom of your word, the kingdom of God. So when we declare your word on earth as it is in heaven, we're declaring the light of your glory here. Isaiah 60. The spirit of the Lord is upon us. Isaiah 61, his glory came, Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There's something about the word and the spirit coming together that the dynamic duo, you can't separate and pull them apart. But once you've said it, prayed it, believed it, go back and water it again and again and again. Don't dig it up and say, I don't see anything happen because the times and seasons are in her, his hand, not yours. When you dig it back up, I, I don't know if this has happened. I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. What you're doing is aborting the seed because you're going by how you feel, not by what he said. He's just preparing the ground, preparing our heart to see if it's ready to take root. And if we don't feel it, we don't see it. The natural senses have to become submitted to the supernatural senses of God. I'm crucified with Christ. That means my senses 
how I think it should be done, my opinions, all of that's crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live because I can now live by the faith, his senses, his words, his thoughts, his intentions, so I live by those faith, the Son of God. Lord, would you just come and drop in our heart, O oh God, the very seed of life. You said in 2 Corinthians 9, you give seed to the sower. We're just one seed away or one, one hearing of the word away from seeing something turn around and change. Or at least the beginnings, the head of it, beginning, in the beginning. Then the Holy Spirit moves. Forgive us that we've complained about it. Forgive us, Lord, we've charged you about it. Forgive us that we've made an excuse, so Lord, as to why we don't respond and react to you. And we become cold and indifferent, which is a very close word to the word stubborn. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. If you find yourself taking the word of God, bending it around to fit what you want, then there's a good chance as you're using the word to how you feel, not using the word to have a breakthrough. So we pray today. Thank you for partnership with us, Lord. Thank you for co-laboring with us. By your stripes you're healed. You've already accomplished that and done that. You're just looking for us to declare on earth what you've already done by the faith of the Son of God.